I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with another installment of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. For those new to the show, the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series is a deep dive into the work of shelter creatives who are at the forefront of holistic design. When I say holistic design, I mean it in its truest sense, design that keeps the individual for whom it's designed at the forefront of the work. Designers who craft space for the quality of life that space provides. And Michael Gilbride is one such designer. Michael describes his namesake firm as one that creates, quote, for lives well lived, end quote. He also describes well-connected spaces and purpose to elevate daily life. That's the prototypical example of a designer that works to create elevate, connect, and better the lives for those he designs. And that's the point. Michael and I cover a lot of ground here. We talk about his South American upbringing that that informs his design philosophy and his background in fashion prior to his work in design. We also chat about an extraordinary design house project that Michael worked on in the Hudson Valley of New York, the Kingston Design Show House. Michael and his team created an absolutely spectacular bathroom that is part spa, part art gallery, and all zen. What I love most, and and you'll hear this, this bathroom is simply one of the best, most completely designed spaces I've ever seen. I have studied this space in depth looking for some, any small detail that was overlooked, and, and seriously, I, I can't find one. It's one of the best design spaces I've ever seen because design is personal, right? You, you might agree or, or, or not. And, and that's okay either way as it relates to this particular space. But what is undeniable is that design is constrained by what? Walls, space, location, and imagination. This bathroom is not huge. But every inch of the space was considered in the final result. What you will hear is the philosophy behind it, the why, and how it all came together. This is my conversation with Michael Gilbride, part of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. You'll hear from Michael right after this. I am so incredibly proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They have been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes from saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. I think Thermosol makes the greatest steam shower generators in the world for a few reasons. They were first to do it here in the United States, dating back to 1958. They operate a world-class factory here in the U.S. in Round Rock, Texas, where they have an engineering team that designs, tests, and continually refines the product. They test every single steam generator before it leaves the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me And I I think you know this, that the idea of luxury has changed, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory, or it's just not luxury. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option, the best in the biz, and that's Thermosol. Mitch Altman, third-generation CEO of this family-owned business, continues to innovate with Smart Shower, a technological marvel, aromatherapy, chromotherapy, and so many options. And it's easy to size and simple to configure. 
Check out all the available options at thermosol.com because a bathroom isn't truly luxury without steam. And there is really only one option if you want the best. It's thermosol. So it's funny. One of the things that I am so excited to talk to you about, and I love the no swearing question, no swearing right question, because it's so funny. Um, my background's in broadcast. So I came from radio. One of one of my gigs was I was the general manager and program director of Playboy Radio. And you want to talk about swearing and things that you shouldn't be saying on the radio, saying on the radio. I, I totally get it. And you know what? Sometimes that's the that's as long as you know, that's the best conversation there is. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I actually uh uh used to work for the guy who was their uh Playboy's head of revenue a couple of years back. Uh I don't know if it was the same time, but I worked with him and he swore quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part of the culture. Part of the culture. That and being naked, you know, that's part of well, exploring your body, right? So listen, um really excited to talk to you for a, a number of reasons. I am, you know, if you listen to any of the past, I don't know, 400 episodes, you will hear one steady constant and that is I am an absolute sucker for a, a remarkable origin story as well as starting in the business from different uh let's call them unconventional ways you have a you have a very unconventional past uh path toward design new york new york times fashion and and home uh i mean tell me how did you get here from there and why well i i have to back up the truck just a little bit because i'd always been really interested in in design and I, I grew up in Latin America, and if you've been to Brazil, you can kind of see there's this juxtaposition of brutalism and colonial and just pure nature hitting you at all angles. And so that was my earliest memories was seeing, um, you know, those two things hitting against each other. No one really telling me anything about them whatsoever. Um, and so as I grew through life and moved back to the States and 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 kind of acclimated to that culture, I started seeing the things that I wanted to have in my house didn't exist. And this is before trading spaces that reality TV show or, you know, two neighbors would trade homes for the weekend. And, you know, really before Ikea really took over um, the fast furniture market. So I, I had to kind of figure out how to build stuff that I didn't have. And so through college, through my first couple apartments in New York, I just had to make do. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about Thanksgiving before we started. And I'd always been someone who'd have, you know, the potluck Easter's, the potluck Thanksgiving, Friendsgiving, stuff like that at my place. And, you know, even football games, we'd get a little bit too competitive with the deviled egg recipes. But, uh, you know, we needed to have a big enough table and a big enough way to gather and share. And as I progressed in my career, you know, I just was really good at sales. I was really good in advertising and I would get drafted into bigger and bigger roles. Um, and in that, I realized during the pandemic that, you know, I'd, I had a job that I'd wanted to have since I was in my 20s. I wanted to run a fashion magazine. I wanted to run, um, you know, a big global organization. And while the Times is a massive one, I had my own little lane in there. Uh, and I really loved it and building the team. But I realized in the pandemic that, you know, everywhere else I looked at every other job that approached me, it wasn't a job I wanted. And my partner, uh, you know, we're sitting in, in this house that I'm in right now that I built myself. I mean, I, I designed myself a team of proper adults built it. Um, and I'd renovated a couple of other houses. And my partner said, you know, maybe your ladder's on the wrong wall. You know, you've gotten such a great 
uh, uh, experience doing what you've done. You know how to manage people. You know how to manage budgets. Why don't you do what you really love? And so once everything started stopping in May of the pandemic, I said, you know what, maybe, maybe I should. Maybe now is the time to take a step back, go to school. And I immediately enrolled in an AutoCAD course. I immediately enrolled in Parsons. Um, it took a little longer for Parsons to sort out, but I did a two-year program in one. Uh, and I filled in all my blind spots. Um, because one of the things that I've learned working just in media and publishing in a period of such rapid change is that you don't know what you don't know. And there is a constant need to constantly be learning. And in design, I knew that there were lots of things that I didn't know and even more things I didn't know I didn't know. And so I had to just jump in there. I had to start learning. I had to start applying what I knew already and figure out, um, you know, where are other blind spots? And that's that's what I love about working with people now is that, you know, I'll contract in a couple of people to help me on things. And it's great to be really open when you're working with a smart tile guy or a smart carpenter and say, all right, in my mind, I know I'm supposed to lay things out like this and all the textbooks say to do that. But then they'll look at me and be like, why aren't we using Schluter product? And I'll be like, oh, oh let's save myself about $4,000 on a job right now. And so it's, it's really exciting to always be in a place of learning. And, you know, one of the things that I get to do when I'm working on, you know, homes and, and um, you know, hopefully hospitality projects is that you're helping realize someone's dream. You're helping to take um, someone's ambition and really apply it. And in a lot of the, the advertising and media space, it's give me something new that I've never, that I've never seen done before and give me something that I know will perform well. And at least this way I know I can give someone something new that they've never done before, but at least that I know that they want. And that little bit of surprise and delight is exciting. Surprise and delight is exciting no matter where you find it. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it's, I say unfortunately because, you know, you do this long enough, any, any business, it doesn't matter what we're talking mm -hmm. about, but you do any business long enough, you, you get a little bit, you can get a little bit jaded. Um, and design is one of those things too. For me, you know, surprise and delight is a little bit harder to come by now um, than it was even three years ago. And I think that that is due in large part to the pandemic because the moment the pandemic started, everyone, you know, it kind of like, um, from a reality content standpoint, everyone was like, well, now you get to see everything that I'm doing, not just the good stuff, right? It's, we're all locked in our homes. So now I'm going to show you everything. There is no more, like there's nothing behind the curtain. So you saw everything and then everyone's got ideas and everyone publishes their ideas. And it got so crowded and convoluted. I feel like only now the ideas of design are really starting to reformulate a little bit more than they have been over the last couple of years, because the last couple of years, it was baby and bathwater, right? Everything's out. Like mm -hmm. this whole open concept gone. Well, there's a place for open concept, not everywhere. There's a place for Cape Cod mod. You know, I, look, I love the Cape Cod mod, but living in Southern California, every other beach house that was a, you know, a beach bungalow is now a Cape Cod modern mm -hmm. or, or a Mediterranean mm -hmm. modern or a, some other white modern structure right so it's now it's getting back to the idea of surprise and delight and what makes people happy and for that as for purposes of our conversation here so you went to parsons but you've also got this this deep rich background in media and in 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 luxury and in fashion and in home 
And I'm curious how that has shaped the language that you speak now as it relates to design. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny that can that that question can be skinned a number of different ways. Um, you know, first to your point about you know the way that people overshared during the pandemic, as you know, whether it was uh, embracing the idea of everyone is a brand, everyone is a publishing company, everyone is is that. Um, you know, working in publishing, I know that the brand itself has to do that if that was the edict, like the New York Times is a news organization, they have to put out news. When you work on more of a fashion uh, thing or, or, or something like a thought provoking magazine like New York Magazine, you have to put out things that are ambiently urgent. You can't just churn constantly. And, you know, I had a professor in high school who was an English professor who said, look, you're only going to write one or two great provocative things in your entire life. You might as well get all the bad things out of the way now. And that's the way that I look at uh, a lot of the social media postings. I try to wait to show you know, the weather that I might bring on a call or the perspective that I might bring when working with a client and not just like push out as much information as possible because uh, I don't think everyone wants that. Um, or at least your paying clients might not want that. Um, and, you know, to your earlier point or your earlier question about um, how do I, how does the language of fashion and luxury goods and 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 the way that you think about your business impact um, uh, mine now? I mean, you know, there's it, it hits it in a couple different ways. You know, a lot of times we were, you know, whether I was at um, Chanel, whether I was at you know Audemars, whether I was at um, Hermes, talking about particular clients each of them have a nuanced understanding of who their client is. And they're all kind of in a ranked order of who they are. At the end of the day, we're still talking about people who have a significant amount of money to spend, whether it's on luxury goods, on home, on everything else. And you know, what I always learned in that process is that you don't offend both the brands or their customers or, or anything in between. And I have people who are asking me to come to their house and get my opinion on things. And they're shocked that I'm not walking in and just, you know, crapping all over their home and, and, and telling them that they have really gross things or the floor needs to be replaced or this or that. I'm not here to yuck your yum. I'm here to walk to under your house and understand what do you, what is wrong? What I'm looking for? What's the thing that you're asking me your opinion on that I need to either affirm or not? And when I do a consultation with a client, the first time I'm doing a walkthrough, I'm trying to understand functionally why does their space not work for them? And if it's just, okay, it needs to be refreshed, it needs to be pretty, I try and think about how they may use the space now versus how they may have used it prior to the pandemic. And you know that was also a conversation I was having with clients as the world was shutting down. You know, you, I was working on big watch launches that were supposed to be coming out in April. And you know, all of the square footage that we had put, put towards cocktail parties for these $50,000 watches and getting the right people in there so that they can really touch on the space, we immediately had to shift gears to think, okay, well, are we gonna be able to get ice into the venue? Are we gonna get people here? Will the watches even be able to be shipped here? And moreover, what does the idea of care and comfort mean? I mean, you would have to put on fancy gloves just to be able to touch watches before <laughs> the pandemic. Now it was like, did we need to have different types of gear on just to be able to interact with these very expensive uh, products? So, you know, that being said, when you look at someone's house, I see a lot of people with formal dining rooms that 
hell, they may never really do formal entertaining anymore. That's just not in the cards. Their kids have graduated. That room could be used for something else. Maybe it's time to create a bar. Maybe it's time to create a cannabis room if that's your vibe now that everything's legalizing across the country. But let's really think about how that space could be a meditation room or something else. If all it's doing is holding the family heirloom china and you know a lot of really heavy wooden chairs. Nothing, nothing against them. But if you don't use it, what could you use that for? Uh, yeah, it's really interesting too. The, you know, the the other side of that, and um, because I know that you've seen this, is the <clears throat> the media side of it. Which look, and I I came from media, so I get I get sales. Um, I get I get how it, how to sell a product. I get how to sell content. I get how to how to sell it. Lists and what's in, what's out, what's trending, what's not. Totally get it. At the end of the day. That's all BS anyway, because if designers are doing their job, if you're doing your job, all that matters is what that particular client wants. I've told this story like a hundred times, but um, when I first started doing the show, I would ask designers, you know, I started doing this because I've always loved interior design and architecture, but never possessed, you know, what I felt was the talent to do it myself. So, you know, I leaned back on media and my background to showcase great designers and great stories. And what I found was I would ask designers like, so what's your style? It's not a stupid question. It's a pedestrian one. It's just very, very basic because when, when you get the same answer all the time from very good designers, and I will take, I will take the answer from you. You don't even have to answer my question. The answer is it doesn't matter what your style is. It matters what your client wants, because what your client wants, you know how to deliver that for them, and that's what's going to make them happy. Totally get it. So that being said, and if that's true, then, and this isn't a question, it's more of a pontification, so sorry about this, but then color of the year and AD 100 and the 100 list or the 50 list or the 25 list or the world's greatest designer and architects list, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what can an individual like you do with the work. So we transition. And one of the reasons why I really, the first reason why I wanted to talk to you um, was about your backstory, because I absolutely love it. And the second is the Kipps Bay Design House. Kipps Bay? Kingston. Uh, it, it was the Kingston Design Show. Kingston yeah. Design House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Kingston Design House. Um, and you put together a space that is both fun and funky, yet sophisticated and really comfortable. And I'm just, I'm just curious, like, because design houses are so interesting, right? You're not designing necessarily for a specific client. Sometimes you are, sometimes you get ideas. What was the instruction that you got in advance of this? Well, well thank you. I'm glad I'm, I'm somewhat interesting and that you, I really that you like the design because, um, you know, to your point, I've struggled to answer the question, what kind of a designer are you? And I think when most people look at the AD100 or they look at um, some of these other um, uh, media brands that that run these lists, it's to show that you know what you're doing as a designer. It's a form of credentializing because there is no license to be a designer. And there are some people who are incredible with textiles and I'm learning to be better and better and better with them, but they can't use software. They can't figure out how to design a bathroom. Like, and they usually, that becomes a problem when you're working with contractors down the road. And so that's why I spent my time educating myself 
on that type of technical component because you have to understand how to communicate your ideas. And at one end, you do that to communicate with the people who are going to actually build it. And on the other hand, you have to communicate it with the end client. And sometimes that end client wants a very artistic, dramatic show. And sometimes they can look at a technical thing and say, I smell in what you're cooking, let's run with it. And that's the challenge because I found when I first started working with people, I do have this kind of 3D way of putting elements together, but I I, I struggled with how to lay it out. And by the time I got to the Kingston Design Showhouse, I was able to bring it in on that first walkthrough and say, okay, I've got kind of a rough idea of what's happening. Here's what's happening. So with the Kingston Design House, they basically, Marilyn Daymore gave me a call and she said, hey, you're one of the only designers here who knows how to work with plumbing, how to work with um, renovation stuff. I've got this kind of funky room. It used to be a kitchenette. There's not a lot of running water to it, but I'd like you to turn it into a bathroom. And, you know, she gave me this whole pitch on Victorian homes and how, you know, the Kingston design uh, connection really tries to take homes in Kingston that aren't exactly up to par for a family to live in and turn it from either a commercial space into a residential or from a, you know, a, a not great house into a superb house. And the bathroom is something that the homeowners get to keep at the end of the day. So I wanted to think about um, two things. One, what are Victorian homes like when it comes to bathrooms? And two, what do you really need out of a bathroom today? So the first thing is that Victorian homes weren't known for running water. So I had pretty much free will to do whatever I want. <laughs> I had pretty much a, a, a clean run to do something that was very cool. And I'm, I'm glad you, you picked up on that. But the other thing is that it was a really tight space for a bathroom. And so it gave me a little bit more freedom to do play with pattern, to play with design and make it really get a huge punch. Um, with this space, I started thinking about what a bathroom really is. And especially after the pandemic, we've been talking a bit about that and, and you know, my change through it. The bathroom is really the only room that you have to yourself in case. Open your door and not be bothered by your family you adopted during the pandemic. It's the only place you literally go away. And I thought, well, how can I how can I get even further away from that so that when I close the bathroom door, you that's where I got out the door produces shower and really create a door within a door. Can't put the steam shut door without letting all this. I hey, Michael. Hey, Michael. Um, you're buffering like really bad, uh, and I don't want to miss any of this story. So let's do let this. Me... Or just audio? It's audio. Okay. Might to a different less and disconnect my AirPods. Because they, I just got these a little while ago, and they are not great. Yeah, you just told, all of a sudden you just started cutting out. All right, can you hear me? <clears throat> yeah. So where did you lose me? I got to wind myself back up. Yeah, um, lost you. Really, you know, if you want to start at the beginning again. Um, of the so I got the Victorian, we got the no plumbing. So from there, sort of the inspiration and what you started, how you wanted to start putting this together. Okay. And can you do me a favor and turn your, just a bit away from the window so that you're not so backlit, so that I can actually see you on the? No, come on, it's got to be scary, man. <laughs> how do I make this scary? For you? <laughs> I think I'll have better service in here. 
All right. <clears throat> I love it. Nothing wrong with a good location change. Well, you know, I like to be a little versatile with this stuff. You can never really I know. plan for too much. Perfect. Yeah, so, there you go. Yeah, jump in when ready. All right. So since Victorian homes aren't known much for having running water, I had a little bit of creative freedom and started thinking about what is a bathroom today in the post-pandemic world? And in my life, it's the only place I can close the door and get away from my partner, get away from my family members, <laughs> get away from a dog. And most importantly, I can also have the liberty to not have my phone out. And so I started thinking, how could I make this bathroom more private? and more of a getaway and more of a place that people can't just bang on the door and ask you a quick question. And that's where I, I reached out to Thermador and found that they had this smart steam shower system that has a- Thermosol. Thermosol, did I, what did I say? Thermador. Thermador, shit. Um, and that's when I reached out to Thermosol that has a smart steam shower system that you can control from a touchscreen. And I built out a room that's eight feet by six feet. I'm sorry, that's four feet by six feet. The entire room was eight feet by six feet. That, and a full built-in shower bench that ran six feet long. So you could literally lay down on a bench and you could catch up on Netflix, listen to Spotify. And the shower head does all of the light, all of the sound. And what's even better is there's a full glass enclosure. So no one can get in and bother you without releasing all the steam. I'm looking, I'm looking at this bathroom. Do me a favor. Take me through it. Um, sure. Here's what I absolutely love. So you've you've got this. First of all, the color palette. You've you've got a you've got a lot of natural in there. You've got tile that that sort of matches this very smooth, easy feeling. You've got the plants. You've got the bench. It feels like, you know, as you put this together, what did your checklist look like? I mean, the the fact that you've got a window in the shower, a vertical window in the shower, I, I think is spectacular. And I'm, I'm gonna guess based on how it looks that this is a second floor window. It, it, it is a second floor window. And there was a window there to begin with in the kitchenette. And because it's a show house, I didn't wanna put my own money in closing up the wall. So I figured out how could I make a really fun contemplative place? And where it brought me once I fell into this idea of the thermosol steam shower as the way of creating privacy in a world where you have less and less of it, I started thinking about where I felt the most grounded and lifted. And it was in a trip to Iceland where we got to run around the entire country and hang out in all of these saunas that were out in nature that had big windows in them so that you could really see in and out of the world and be connected to it, but also be completely separated from it. Um, so that, that was part one that was rumbling around in my head. And, and when I designed, I, I have all of these different inspirations. You are listening to my conversation with Michael Gilbride, part of the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol. We'll be right back. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. 
So uh, when I design, I, I tend to have a couple of different inspirations that I have to start, I bring them together and then I start editing from there. So one of them was the idea of getting away from everyone that you know in your life. The second one was a more fun design side. And that was, what are the, the, the trends of the Victorian era that I could bring into this space, but modernize them? Um, because that's incredibly important. And really intricate tile work was one of the hallmarks of the time. And so the floor I chose was a mosaic of five different types of marble. It was Carrera, it was Noir, Travertine, Gray, and Beige tile. And it was done in such a cool um, triangular hexagonal pattern that I wanted to make sure that was a star of the room. Um, and the third thing that was really important to not only play with the design elements and uh, the, the isolation elements is that when you spend this much money for a thermosole steam shower package, it's around you know $25,000 to do something like this. You don't wanna have to renovate it a second time as you get older. And so I wanted the space to be completely seamless and uh, uh, appropriate for aging in place because a lot of the aging in place bathrooms that I've seen, they're a little geriatric. And I don't mean that as, as any type of uh, 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 disparagement of the ones that I've seen, but sometimes they feel- No, I get, I get it. You didn't want the, the walk-in tub or the, <laughs> the bar on the wall. Well, I get I, it. I wanted, yeah, I mean, I wanted to have a bathroom that you could still feel sexy in. And so what happens when you walk in is you see that the, the floor is completely curbless as you walk into the steam room. And so there's no step in, there's no step down. It goes completely straight in and the floor drains into the joists of the floor. And so that was a bit of an engineering feat that we were able to, to do because I had a great team working with me, but I also understood how to design the space properly so that you could take this really small room, but also make it feel like a massive bathroom. So those elements really helped play together um, this space where there are overtones of the Victorian era while still being incredibly modern. Tell me about the art. Oh, sure. So the art is uh, from a artist named Brooklyn. His name is Andrew Brischler. Um, what his work has usually been over the past uh, 10 years that I think I've seen him, he's been in Freeze, he's uh, been in Basel every year. Um, his pieces are usually massive format, like, like over 10 feet tall. They're all colored pencils and pen um, that he does on wood. So it's incredibly long, incredibly, uh, I find painstaking process because I, I don't have the patience or the talent for that. But what he does is these, these massive studies of character, typography, and words. And what this um, series of, of, of drawings were from were his exploration into the way that large format text is either doing one of two things. It's telling you what to buy or it's telling you where to go. And he wanted to see if you could spend some time staring at these words and separate their meaning from their shape. And if you're sitting in a steam room for 20 minutes and you're just unplugging from television, maybe just listening to music, there's no better place than to stare at you know, a piece of art that says poison in a beautiful script font and see if you can really read that or not. Um, the other piece, uh, God, I have to pull up the photo, but the other piece- How to be was, awake and alive. How to be awake and alive is really about, uh, 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 when I first saw that piece and I was asking him which ones I could borrow from him for the show house, that was one that, I really felt like was key for a bathroom as a place to get away, as a place to recharge. It really is uh, a good reminder 
of what you need to do when you open that door and get out to face the world. So back to this to the thermosol steam shower for a second, because one of the things that I think is is really interesting about the manner in which you approached this particular space. So a steam shower is I, I kind of feel like now if if a bathroom is truly luxurious, there are a couple of things that it has to have. And if it's going to be luxury, it's got to have it's got to have steam. It's funny because you go other places in the in the world and luxury has a different definition. And it, you know, you you mentioned you know Iceland or or Finland and where you have this is just common practice where everyone has has steam. You know, it's a sauna and steam. It's just part of what they do. But as you approach this, it's really interesting because the transition that you have in this in this space where the tile transitions from inside the steam shower out of the uh, the shower into the rest of the of the the space you've got you've got frameless glass on the door and the transom you can't even really notice it and then you've got the window behind it so what you did in effect is you've created this see-through effect where you've basically i'm going to say you've 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 added 35 to 40% of of a visual space to a, to a a tight room it's it's amazing because I feel like space is one of those things too that adds to a, a sense of well-being and a feeling of peace. And between the color palette and the as you approach this, you know, just looking at the space and figuring out what you wanted it to look like, and then the use of the tile. You, I mean, look, let's be honest. It's a it's a design house, and you could have said, okay. I'm going completely bananas here. I'm going over the top. I'm going to just, I'm going nuts, right? And just, you could have overdone it. You could have Victorianly over, just made up that, um, totally overdone it, but you didn't. And there's, there's both restraint and a complete and total firm grasp of, of the space itself, what it's supposed to be, and then how you got there. And I, I'm, I just, I'm curious in the process that you went through product, material, use of space, framing, glass, steam shower, what it was for, and what you wanted this space to be. How did it all come together for you? Well, one of the things that I, I do with all of my clients when I work with them, especially couples, requirement for couples, is that I make sure that we all align on a concept or a vibe or a mood that is three words. And those three words have to filter through every decision that we make. And you know, when I work with couples, especially when we're talking about different design, I run them through a couple of different images and I do a lightning round to see if they both like, like it, don't like it, and where is that in-between space? Because you know, sometimes the job when you're renovating a bathroom or a kitchen or a house, it's a little bit like couples counseling. And you know, there might not be a fight. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have to make sure that when you're putting money into a project that everyone is happy with the outcome. And so with this, I wanted the space to be um, uh, reinvigorating. I wanted it to be grounding and I wanted it to be lifting. And around that, I wanted there to be, like I said earlier, uh, overtones of the Victorian time. So I included an intricate millwork that also was modern that fit well with the house but also fit perfectly well with the space. 
um, there was a vertic verticality to it that matched the tile that I put on the walls in the, in the steam shower that mimics uh, wood that you would have in a wood sauna. I initially wanted to use wood sauna, but the price or the wood for the, the, the steam shower, but there's two issues with that. You can't use wood in a steam shower because it'll mold. Um, you can only use it in a hot sauna. And two, the price for wood would be outrageous. And as much as I wanted to go ham and just be really dramatic, um, at the end of the day, I think you can be really dramatic by showing a little restraint. I think you can be really dramatic, especially when people are looking at all the different rooms in a space like that, by taking a step back and showing that you, you can work with the client to not completely trample over their, uh, their wants while still showing a little bit of flair. Um, I think at the end of the day, most people love color and pattern. They're just afraid to do it. And sometimes you need to find their comfort level within that to make them say, you know what? That was the right decision. And there's a couple of other things that you did too that are, you know, they're just so, they're seamless, right? So you have the cabinetry, which, which perfectly mirrors my opinion, but perfectly mirrors the tile used in the shower, just right. artfully, artfully done. Um, but you also pull color out of the tile on the floor. So you've got this, you've got this pull throughout the whole thing that, that just draws the eye seamlessly front to back. You've also got the countertop from the, from the vanity, which also covers the, the bench top in the steam shower. And again, it just pulls the eye. There's a, there's a certain sense of symmetry to the space. And I am small space, big style is one of the concepts that I've had on Combo by Design since day one, like 10 years ago, because I, I, I feel like there is a true art form that comes from designing a small space. Not that designing a big space is necessarily any easier, but there's a certain simplicity to a larger footprint because you have way more options. Um, when you're when you're confined to a small space, there's there's a lot of things, a lot of decisions that have to be made. I mean, look, just two in particular, as I look at this, the transition from that thermosol steam shower to the bathroom, to the remainder of the, of the space is seamless because there, there is virtually no, no transition. It's there is, just- There's no and transition. That, and that, you know, the, the, thank you for noticing some of these details because, you know, the, the way that the vanity was set up, it was actually something I struggled with for a really long time because of the way that code lives and breathes in bathrooms, I was really limited to having either a very tiny vanity that would be kind of a, a, a sad whimper compared to this big steam shower, um, or spend some time really figuring out how am I going to make something that was useful and special. And um, I, I used the tile specifically as the inspiration. And for a while, I was playing with different color bits with um, Tim McCann, who's the, an incredible uh, mill worker up here in uh, Kingston, New York, that, I mean, he does such, such impeccable work and was a great partner in um, my mania of, uh, of having him build something that was so not standard to be able to work properly in this space. Um, but, you know, I wanted to have something that, um, was as bold as the shower, but when you see that it's kind of a, a large tri triangle, a large trapezoidal shape, that door on the front could be very heavy. 
it could be something that'd be very hard to open. But we played out, played with the hardware and the hinge so that you could open it with just a pinky. And that's really where you get into, you know, I often um, say to my clients, you have to find the potential in space. And when they come to me with the room, they'll say, you know what, I don't think this room can be much. It's a small room, it, da, 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 da. I, you know, you can find a lot of freedom in those constraints. The, the thing that you have to be honest about is how much stuff are you gonna put in that room? And I will hold people, I am not Marie Kondo, I love her to death, but some of y'all have too much stuff. And if the brief of this bathroom is a place to get away in, a place to relax in, don't put all of your face stuff in here. Put that in the other bathroom. <laughs> this is your steam room, this is your relaxing room, Maybe put your face masks in here and leave that in the steam shower side so you can relax. But that that's kind of the, the line we were walking. And I was fortunate enough that there were homeowners to this show house. And every once in a while, they would kind of check in on me. They would kind of see what was going on. And, you know, we had, because this was going to be given to them at the end of the day, we had a lot of structural waterproofing, not sexy design stuff that we had to check off because these old houses, in order to have all of the tile lines up in the way that it lined up, we had to really frame out the room all over again. And once we got it there, we were off running. I mean, I, I hate to say this because, you know, um, it, it ruins a bit of the magic of a show house, but we had under six weeks to do this and to pull off the waterproofing, the tile, let alone the glass enclosure, which normally takes six months. I mean, if it weren't for Clearview glass in um, in LaGrangeville, I would have had no shower glass. I mean, they, they really moved the sun and the earth to be able to get this for me um, in time in a way that's chic, that's clean, and it makes you kind of want to sit in there for a couple hours. Yeah, it really does. And there's a couple other things that I just wanted to to ask you about um in this space and then i i have other questions uh, about your 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 firm and your work first first one um i i had for you was how challenging was this um with the tile that you selected and specified for this to do that invisible drain as well as that little mini step up where the the glass is because you know it's really funny when I was first looking at these images, I look for things like it's not to catch anything, but I, I, I like to recognize when something is artfully done. The transition that we're talking about or the, the virtual lack of, thereof between the bathroom and the steam shower, there is a, a little mini lip because there has to be to, to support the glass, but you can't see it. And not only can't you see it unless you're completely right on top of it, but it's on the drain side. And then you, you don't even notice from the door to the bathroom, you don't even notice this invisible drain, which does something else to the beauty. Not that there aren't some amazingly, stunningly beautiful um, high-end design <clears throat> drains out there, but this one is completely invisible and the tile work is just magical on this. Well, Mike Flanagan is my tile guy, and he is not only a miracle worker, he, I mean, this bathroom was his Sistine Chapel. And, uh, you know, we have a, a great relationship of working with each other because I think we, we both teach each other things that we didn't really know. I mean, he's been doing kitchen and bathrooms for 20 years. Um, and I, you know, I was kind of, you know, we would, we, we always bumped into each other over the years because he was like, why do you hate subway tile so much? And I'm like, I hate subway tile because people who use subway tile don't need me. 
if they hire me, I'm not going to, I can't pick up Subway Tile or anything at Home Depot for them. And he um, uh, also got a little, little bristled at me because if you look at a lot of the, um, uh, any type of steam shower marketing photos. It's all that same Carrera marble slabs that sure it's beautiful, but we've all seen them in gyms. I, I wanted to do something different. And with this, those little triangles, those are all individual pieces of marble. Those are all <laughs> really intricate guys. So it made it easy for us to do some of the seam work on the edges because, you know, it didn't have to be completely I mean, it did have to be completely seamless everywhere, but that drain, my man, that took that, that took like two or three days. That that was that was one where Mike was ready to murder me. But at the outset, he knew what he was getting into. This wasn't a change later. Um, but all of the edge edge work around the side, even the slope on the side, you can see they're all little triangles. But um, I wish I could walk you through the bathroom. It's still live in Kingston. Um, we set the triangle pattern all the way through down on the side seam. Um, and we didn't want it to stand out. So we used Carrera marble just on that side because we had so many leftover pieces. And then on the side closer to the bench, we used um, uh, more of the other colors so that you would not catch that it was kind of a borderline instead of cutting, you know, four different mini baby triangles. I'm just noticing this as you're talking about it, as you said it, like the light went on. It's like, that is amazing. Because I mean, it's, it's funny. This whole space is truly one optical illusion after another. It really isn't. And the more I look at this, it's like, wow, you have one of the best tile guys on the planet. He's, he's incredible. And, um, <laughs> I, I promised him that the next one will not be this intricate. <laughs> It's amazing. Um, thank you. Yeah, his wife was a little mad at me for a while because both of us, I wasn't going to let him work there as many hours as he was alone. So I was in there doing other stuff with him. And it was really fun to uh, to really burn the late night oil on that house. Um, so a couple of things that I, I just want to, I want to touch on as well, because there's, there's some artistry in here too that I want to recognize. Um, I wanted to ask you about the poll. You used a singular poll that is, that is a gold tone um, juxtaposed against all black for all of the other hardware, which I, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask about that. Who is that? I wanted to ask about the, um, the lighting. And then third, I think you did something else that is just completely magical, which oftentimes goes unnoticed, is that the ceiling is, I can't tell if it's a darker shade or if it's black, but I think it's black to, to go against the beadboard on the, on the walls. But what that does is it opens the space and differentiates it from, I mean, it changes the view. It, it gives you this geometric view of a longer space and it actually with a darker color, which is counterintuitive, it actually opened it up. And I just think that's amazing and well done. Well, thank you very much. I, I like to say that when you tackle a design project, the design is the way, the luxurious design is a way of hiding the genius function. And the reason that the ceiling looks like that, and there's before and after videos on the website where you can see it goes up a little bit higher. Um, I had to drop the ceiling down and make a soffit because that's where all of the engineering is for the steam shower to work. 
And so instead of hiding it in an attic or throwing it in another bedroom, or I mean, there really wasn't the space to put it in a vanity or in the bench. So you put the generator in the, in the ceiling? Correct. Uh, brilliant. Okay, so I get it. You can access it from the attic if you need to do anything, but it exists up there and it makes it easier for everything to operate without there being too much waste because you don't want to have too much piping moving around with all of the steam. It can, uh, you know, it's inefficient. Um, and the last thing you want is to have a beautiful steam shower and lose your mind every time you get a power bill. Um, so that's that's one. The the other thing, and and we didn't really touch on this um, too heavy, but you know, I, I usually don't make big artistic mood boards and and have narratives and stories. But for the show house, everyone did, and I kind of felt bad at the last minute that I had to 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 build something. And the Iceland thing is true, um, but I started thinking about. Um, you know, through the process of this, they're one of the beaches that I went to um, that that was, uh, it had these amazing basalt columns. So they're big vertical black columns that were just crazy. They're like perpendicular. I've never seen anything in nature that's absolutely perfectly perpendicular squared beaches. And they were like, each one of them was twice the size of a human person. And they went up as far as the eye could see. And again, that was another place where I felt both grounded, insignificant, heightened. And that was where I kind of got the idea for the millwork. And the light fixtures that I chose in there were also these glass uh, rotted um, light fixtures that they do add a touch of glam in there, but they also reminded me of kind of the icicles that I found along the way in that trip and how they were massive and large. And so there is a piece of that in there, but I didn't want to be so literal. Um, because my trip to Iceland is not what these homeowners are going to be thinking about when they're in this bathroom. They're going to be thinking about it being a chic place. And so I brought all of that together. And, you know, the ceiling was kind of a game time decision. I was sitting in there. We were looking at the last minute of the tile. And, you know, I was saying I was there with my tile guy all hours of the night. It's because I looked at the ceiling and I said, I feel like I'm flying away. And he's like, you sound like a crazy person. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the design emotional thing. I think I need to paint the ceiling black because it's not, it, it, I don't feel right. And so I got some more um, high gloss black paint and I had to sand the ceiling down. I had to make sure it was perfectly flat. Otherwise you can't have a high gloss ceiling. And that really helped not only keep you contained from, you know, quote unquote, flying away while you're in the bathroom, but it also added this extra touch that you, you notice that this kind of feeling of luxury um, that, that it really needed as a finishing touch. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I absolutely love it. So listen, um, beautifully done. I love this space. You know, for me, it's, this is truth be told, this is one of the things that I find most enjoyable about what I do, you know, 10 years in 400 plus episodes later, this never, ever gets old to me. Finding how someone like you thinks through the process and then works and collaborates with others to make that vision a reality is just extraordinary. Um, and, I, and I love that. So again, well done. I, I also learned a great deal about, you know, it's funny because like the, the three words, right? To me, you know, because I was in broadcast, um, I was the director of motorsports for, for NASCAR, for CBS and, you know, before, and director of sales. So being on the sales side and writing so much copy, um, 
you know, three things, the phone number, we're going to repeat it three times, coming up with three different concepts, I'm going to, and putting it all into a 30 or a 60 second commercial so that people can visualize, because it was for radio and to understand it, right. And if you can make somebody understand something that's non-visual, um, you you can get them to paint the picture in their head. And that's really what what design is, because at the end of the day, your clients have to buy into you understanding their vision prior to being able to see anything. Does that come natural to you or is that something that you have to work on every day? Uh, I, I Look, there's something in my career that I've always been able to do, which is um, articulate uh, complex technical things in not layman's terms, but easy to understand terms. Um, you know, whether, you know, I started my career in, um, you know, uh, um, ad tech doing rich media ads and really complicated video technology before broadband internet existed. And as I worked through my career, there were more and more of those things. Sometimes they were technically related, sometimes they were interpersonally related. And on the design side, you know, articulating design to someone who doesn't have a vocabulary of it doesn't really do us any good. You know, like I said earlier, I had to understand how to communicate my ideas and thoughts with people of different who read things in different ways. Um, there was one of the guys on this job that he didn't read uh, plans. He's a great woodworker, but I had to actually like tape them out in the room for him to just get after. And I was like, all right, let's do this, buddy. But you know, when I'm working with clients, usually people with a, a high design vocabulary don't hire a designer. They want someone who is either going to imprint a style on them or help them kind of design Sherpa their way together. Um, and at, at least in, in my experience, I, I could be missing out another um, category of person, but it's fun working with people to find this untapped potential in themselves that they say, no, I actually, I do have a style and a taste. I just, I didn't have the words to clearly communicate it. And, you know, it's the, the rubric that I set up with people is just so that we can keep each other honest because the design process isn't normally like this show house that was six weeks. Um, it's months and with pandemic delays, it's years. And if you have a change of heart about a light fixture and we've kind of made that an anchor that talks to everything else in the design, we're gonna have a real problem by the time everything finally gets here. So it's a way of keeping each other honest and in line so that when we do have disagreements or change of hearts, we don't refer back to a contract and say, well, you know, eight months ago, we agreed that if you change your mind now, you owed me more money because that's not productive for anyone. Um, it's just, we have to kind of all as a team, as we're working together in this, you know, there's so many designers out there who are incredibly talented. And at the end of the day, when you're working with someone, you got to make sure that you one, trust them. You two, know that they're going to get you out of a hard time because hard times come up and three, that you're going to get along. And that's what I try to keep in mind when I'm working with people, because bad things happen all the time on construction jobs. And you just got to be with someone who's not going to lose their mind and yell at people or just, okay, here's a fact. And we're going to get through it together. There's darkness ahead. I've gotten through darkness before. This is new darkness, but we'll do it together. Was this was this your first design house? Yes, it was. It was terrifying. <laughs> would, you, <laughs> would you do it again? Uh, I would do it again, but I would probably do it in a little bit more time. Um, it was a lot of fun to do. Um, but with uh, something like a bathroom or a kitchen, you have to install everything in there. I couldn't really borrow much. 
I couldn't really just, you know, some of the other designers had the freedom of being able to walk in and paint a room or put in wallpaper and then borrow some furniture and they were done. Um, it was a it was a significant time commitment that like I left it all out on the field. So it's really um, um, it it warms my heart that that you really love it just from from seeing the photos and the videos online. Um, but it, it took me away from my regular paying clients. <laughs> I have to either get a larger team or um, uh, not do a bathroom again. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting too, because design houses are, I mean, right now, design houses, the concept is is more popular than I think it's ever been before. And rightfully so, you know, I feel like in many cases, design houses now are what a demo house used to be, you know, or a the prototype, you know, you'd go into a community being from Southern California, you know, home of the design community, you know, the well-planned master communities where you'd have a show house where you'd walk through and see what's possible. And then you kind of figure out what's right for you. Um, do you get clients from this? Have you gotten business from this? It, it, you know, yes, but it is a slow sales cycle for a lot of design stuff. Um, usually people don't have, you know, the money ready to go to renovate a bathroom or the heart to get ready to go right off the bat. Um, so, but I have a, a lot of interest. I have actually a bathroom that came from this project. Um, and I've got a couple of other uh, pieces of business that I think people just like seeing the creativity. Um, because when you're designing with another client in mind to, you know, your comments earlier about what kind of designer are you, you do have to negotiate that process. Um, but the great thing about a show house is that you can really do whatever you feel like is the best representation of the work you do. Um, some people, that means being very moody and dramatic. Um, for me, I just wanted it to be smart. That it is. Um, last question I have for you is, uh, do you have a dream project? Is is there anything that is that is on like it's on your 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 dream board, your vision board, your you look at it when you wake up in the morning like I want a hotel or I want to do is it do you have something in mind that you would love to do? I would love to do a hotel, restaurant, um like uh, a beach club, all of that stuff. Um probably in Costa Rica. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Costa Rica, have you been? Mm -hmm. Um no. It is a beautiful little country that is probably the size of South Carolina, but because of all of the nature, you can't just go directly anywhere. Um, I was just there uh, this earlier this year and did a whole drive around to basically most of the country. And it's beautiful, great food at every stop that I went to, even roadside attractions. Um, it, it was really kind of a breathtaking place. Um, that would be dream job, um, but I'll take a hotel, restaurant, beach club anywhere. Hey, look, we put it out there. So you can ask for, right? I'm manifesting, right? Is that what they say in California? <laughs> sure, exactly. Exactly. Michael, this was this was great. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, being able to be on this call with you. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful 
incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors, to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community, so you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Michael, for taking the time to share your story. Thank you, Convo by Design Partners and Sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for your continued support. And thank you for taking the time every week to share some time together and hear the stories behind Sublime Design. Check the show notes for links to Michael's work, our social media links as well, and please keep emailing me with your suggestions and guest submissions. I I love them. I do. Convo by Design at Outlook.com. Until next week, remember why you do what you do and for whom you do it. Be well and take today first. 